today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, uh, Dr. Eric Hoskins addressed the media. Uh, they have finished their report now. This, of course, is the Advisory Council on the Implementation of National Pharmacare. And uh, this plan uh, could reduce patient access to drugs, according to some insurers. Uh, you would guess, of course, that pharma is not going to be very blown away by this. They've got some concerns about this, but others do as well. This, actually, the report uh, is, is getting mixed reviews, uh, depending on whom you talk to politically and uh, obviously in the business world as well. Let's uh, get into this and find out exactly what's being proposed and whether or not it's even doable and whether or not it's even affordable. Ian Lee from the Spot School of Business at Carleton University joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to discuss this. Hi, Ian. How are you doing today? Uh, morning, Bill. Doing just fine, thanks. And any surprises in what Dr. Hoskins talked about yesterday? No, because he has, I've been following um, his, from the time he was appointed by the Prime Minister to head up the Advisory Council. He's been, uh, he's given interviews and um, and he's made his views very clear even before when he was in provincial politics, when he was the Minister of Health in the Wynn government. He was always very clear that he supported universality or universal uh, pharmacy uh, program, pharmacare program. And so there was no surprise at all that this is that this was what he was going to recommend. Yeah, that's one of the things I've heard, too, from a number of people that have analyzed this, is, is they started with a conclusion and kind of worked backwards from there. Yes, yes. And that's the flaw. That is the flaw. That's the major flaw. In fact, it's a catastrophic flaw. And I'll explain what I mean by that. There, is, there are two fundamental ideas in the report. One is there's 20% of Canadians who need help, who can't afford the drugs that they need to take. I fully accept that statement. There's lots of evidence, not just from their committee, uh, advisory report, uh, committee report, but from many other sources. Well, there's the, uh, studies that have been done that there are, some say it's 10%, some say it's somewhere between 10 and 20, but let's accept the outer, I think that's the high limit, the outer limit, 20% of Canadians. Uh, the McDonald-Laurie Institute that I've published for suggests it's 10%, but let's go along with it and say it's somewhere between 10 and 20, and I'm willing to grant that it's 20%. Then the second fundamental thing they say is, therefore we must give free drugs to everybody, not the 20%, 100% of Canadians, but A, B contradicts A. In other words, if we really do believe, and many of us do, that 20% of us really do need help, how on earth can you justify diverting scarce public resources away from the 20% who need help to give free drugs to high-income Canadians, because that's what universality means, everybody gets it, including professors that make a quarter of a million dollars a year. Many do, by the way, and I know that. I'm a professor. Uh, medical doctors who make a half a million to a million dollars a year. Superior court judges who make over 300000 or a third of a million dollars a year. Uh, MPs and senators who make in the uh, top quintile, top 20% of earnings. How can anyone justify diverting scarce public resources away because they're scarce. Public resources are not infinite. They're, they're finite, which means they're scarce. And so how can we justify diverting it away from the people that need help to these very high-income Canadians who do not need help? And, and I'm one of them, by the way. I, I absolutely do not need free drugs uh, from the Governor from Governor Canada or the province of Ontario. I mean, I just think it's shameful, shameful that we're discussing giving free drugs to high-income people that don't need help. And that's the major flaw I mean, enormous. This is the catastrophic flaw 
in this report. It's not the idea that let's enhance the support for the 20%. It's that let's, let's run up the bill. And by the way, they said it's $15 billion. I don't trust their number. The Parliamentary Budget Office, non, completely impartial, published a major report, landmark study, about a year ago, and they estimate it's going to be north of $20 billion a year to give free drugs to everybody. And Kevin Page noted that's the equivalent of 2% increase in the GST. And this report also did not discuss where is another $20 billion going to come from. Well, we know where it's going to come from. It's going to come from more taxation. So what we're saying is, let's increase taxes on everybody, maybe a GST increase, or maybe just a personal income tax increase, which will affect everybody, so that we can give drugs, free drugs, to very high-income Canadians, like, as I said, doctors and senior public servants and you know, CEOs of companies, and so forth. And there is just no justification. I cannot imagine or contemplate or discover any justification for giving free drugs to high-income Canadians who do not need help. In fact, almost all of our social programs are targeted. Not anybody can get subsidized housing. You have to be below a certain income threshold. Not anybody can get social assistance or social welfare. You have to be below a certain threshold. Only people that can get unemployment insurance are people that are unemployed. And, and we even agreed that, that old age pensions should not be universal because Prime Minister Paul Martin, when he was in, clawed back and set a claw back at about 119,000, saying, you know, people above 119 should not be getting OAS. It's 100% clawed back. A GIS, Guaranteed Income Supplement, is, is geared to income, tied to its income tested. Uh, even the Quebec, with the famous $5 a day daycare, finally took it back from the rich people, the high income people, and made it income tested because it was extremely expensive and was squandering scarce resources on people that did not need it. So, you know, there's no justification, in my view, for going down that road of giving free drugs to high income people like me or Dr. Hoskins. It's interesting, uh, because I know they tried it at some statistics yesterday as well, uh, and Canada is the only country with the universal health care system that doesn't also have covering prescription drugs. Others have done this, uh, but, you know, is, is this an apples, and or, uh, to apples comparison to suggest that other countries have no, done this? I'm sorry, I have to very strongly disagree with you, and this is part of the, the, part of the, the, the deception that's been put out by this committee. We're the only country in the world that doesn't have a pharmacare. That is phooey. As I testified before the House of Commons Finance Committee three weeks ago, that is factually false. I'll repeat that. But you heard Dr. Hoskins say that yesterday. False. He is wrong. Kaihai, the Canadian Institute of Health Information, a government agency set up by Paul Martin when he was Prime Minister, publishes all the statistics about health care. It's an amazing source of data. And they publish an annual report called Prescription Drug Spending in Canada. And they show that 43% of all the prescription drugs in Canada are paid by the provincial health care ministries. We have not one, but 10 pharmacare programs in Canada. 10 plus three territories is 13. And almost half, 43% is approaching a half, of all the drugs in Canada are already paid for by provincial ministries of health and not by the individual and not by private insurance plans. And so it is just simply, it's a misrepresentation of fact to say that we do not have a pharmacare program in Canada. We have 13 pharmacare programs in Canada that pay almost half of all the drugs in Canada, of all the prescription drugs in Canada. And so, you know, now they're targeted. 
The provincial system, system, and there's been studies out by the C.D. Howe Research Institute on this, by the Fraser Institute, by the McDonald-Laurier Institute, as well as academic studies showing this. And it is just simply false. It is factually false to say that people do not get government assistance for pharmaceutical products in Canada. It is not true. And if anybody doubts me, they all they have to do is Google Canadian Institute of Health Information um, annual prescription uh, spent drug spending in Canada, and they'll pull up the report showing that it's been there for many, many years, and and uh, and it continues. So that's not even accurate. And by the way, yes, if he means that there's universality in the other countries, so okay, the elites have managed to. Uh, uh, exploit the non-elites with free drugs for the for high-income people, but that just is, that means that we should not be following a bad public policy in another country just because a bunch of them have adopted a bad public policy to give free drugs to high-income uh, uh, people in that country. All right, I want you to address another thing that they talked about in this report as well, and you just touched on it. Ian. There are 13 programs right now in Canada. Is there any benefit to, to saying okay, everybody under one umbrella? In other words, one national program as opposed to 13 individuals. Well, first off, um, I don't. I don't think they can because healthcare is provincial it's under the under the Constitution Act. In fact, he even said we've got to get the government, the provinces, to come forward. Healthcare is administered provincially in Canada. It is not administered federally. Yes, the federal government supports through transfer of money. They transfer money annually to each province for uh, for healthcare, but they do not administer or fund the healthcare system. OHIP, we're in Ontario, of course, but every province has its own OHIP. In Quebec, it's QHIP, and I imagine in BC, it's BC HIP, uh, and, and AHIP for Alberta and so forth. Um, and, and they fund our healthcare system. We pay through our taxes, as we all know, uh, for our hospitals and for going to vi- visit a doctor and for surgeries and any kind of medical treatment of that kind when you go to emergency. It's all paid for by OHIP. And so, when they talk about a national plan, what they're really talking about is, is getting the ten provinces and the three territories to agree to a common plan, but it would actually still be 13 plans because it would be administered by each provincial jurisdiction. Ian, when's the, last time, when's the last time those ministers got together and agreed on anything with the federal government? Well, that may be, but that's their choice. You know, yeah. just because the federal government doesn't like the fact that there's differences of opinion, and that's, I think, what they're saying. Anyways, I mean, but the larger point is, if they're saying they have done a terrible job, I, <laughs> I said half of, almost half of all the prescription drugs in Canada are paid for by provincial ministries. And the other thing we haven't talked about, there's two things that really were not, were ignored in this report. One is, how are we going to pay for the for the for the program? The parliamentary budget office says it's going to be twenty north of twenty billion a year. So are we going to raise GST by two percent? Is that what we're going to do? And the other thing that we haven't he was absolutely silent, and I don't want to talk about this at all, is if this goes through, it's going to throw thousands and thousands of people out of work who work in the employee benefits insurance industry. I at Carleton am insured through Great West Life. I have friends, including my, my partner, who was in the government of Canada for 35 years. They're employed, they're insured through Sun Life. And these insurance companies employ thousands and thousands and thousands of Canadians across Canada who provide these insurance plans to employers. And remember, there's 4 million people in the broader public sector in Canada, per stats can, out of the 18 million Canadians employed. And I can assure you, every last one of us have some sort of a 
benefits plan that it deals with prescription drugs. And so and 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 likewise people in large corporations. And so what I'm saying is they're already covered. They have a 20% copay. I have a 20% copay. In other words, I have a drug. I pay the 80% goes to Great West Life. 20% comes to me. But we're we're well covered. And and so again, the idea that, that we're not covered is not accurate. But more importantly, are we really going to blow up an industry and create very serious unemployment amongst thousands of Canadians who have good jobs? This is shades of Bob Ray back in 1990 or 91. He was going to bring in insurance, auto insurance, and he found that it was going to cause pink unemployment, it was called. Huge numbers of support workers in the insurance industry were going to be thrown out of work. And that's why he backed down, was because he didn't want to be throwing out thousands of people out of work. And why, when in the latest poll I saw, 85% of Canadians that have drug plans through their employer are happy with it. I'm one of them, by the way. And so why do we want to blow up something that's working? Well, which begs the question then, where is the discussion about, uh, 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 I, I, every time I use this phrase, people go, a needs-based study, uh, to say, okay, you know, you don't need it, Ian, Bill, you don't need it, uh, you over there, yeah, you need it, because of your income situation, you're one of that right. 20% that can't afford prescription drugs. Uh, right. Let's help these people. But they don't seem sure. to want to do that. It's got to be one size fits all. Well, I, I don't agree. I don't agree. We already have an income-tested, uh, means-tested uh, system in Canada for, at the, in the ten provinces and three territories. Everyone agrees it's means-tested. There's no dispute about that. That's not an opinion. And so what we're really quibbling over is the extent of the coverage. Okay, let's make it more generous. So maybe we have to up the income threshold. Uh, so instead of whatever the income threshold is, I don't qualify, obviously, but uh, for those for wherever it is, so we have to increase it to ensure that the 20% who are inadequately covered or not covered are covered. And that would bring up the total bill to probably, I'm just, this is back of the envelope now, but it would bring it up to over 50% of all the prescription drugs in Canada, because right now 43% are paid for. So if we add the 20% of Canadians who um, the uh, Dr. Hoskins says are, are inadequately covered or not covered, well, that'll bring up the total spending by the provincial governments to over 50% of the population. So uh, that that's the way to do it, is we target it. As I said, Every other social program, save and accept health care itself, which is universal, I fully acknowledge that. When I testified before the House of Commons Committee, I was asked, well, isn't there a contradiction in what you're saying? I said, no, because when you go first, there's two reasons why I support universal health care. And I'm just going on a sidebar here just for a moment, Bill. Sure. Number one, 85 over my lifetime, if you look at successive public opinion polls over 40 or 50 years, between 85 and 95% of Canadians support the single-payer Canadian model of health care. So first and foremost, even if you hate it, forget it. It's over. The debate is over. We've got it, and it's staying. That's the practical argument. The, the better argument is we can't expect people to bring in their tax returns or some equivalent demonstration of income every time they go to visit the doctor. So because of that, or go to the, for, a, for a medical procedure. So because of that, those reasons, we made it universal in 1965 when it was established. Fair enough, I have no problem with that. But prescription drugs are a different issue because there you can measure it very precisely. A person either has certain income or not, and then they get a card from OHIP, or OHIP is now doing it. OHIP now determines whether or not you qualify for free drugs. And if you do, you get free drugs. 
I mean, there's nothing complicated about this. The mechanisms are in place. The measurement protocols are in place. You just change the the amount that you will cover up to. I'm talking the income level you'll cover up to. Mm -hmm. That can be done very easily. It's expensive. Let's be clear. And why the provinces, I'm assuming, have not increased the coverage level is because it is frightfully expensive, and all the provinces are pretty well, in, pretty well, all the provinces are in deficit, and it's only projected to get worse. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the reasons why they, why they haven't. But there's no reason to prevent the federal government from simply transferring under its transfer annual transfers to the provinces to increase the transfer to allow them to increase the coverage uh, for uh, low-income um, or under, underinsured Canadians. Uh, yeah, which is something under the purview of the finance minister that yet that didn't seem to be part of the conversation. Uh, it's it's a different perspective on this, and that's why I was glad you had some time to come on and talk about this today, Ian, uh, because all we get, if, and, you know, when we get these reports here, is is the spin on this about this is a great that's idea. Right. Uh, the costing is always questionable, and I, I've talked to some of my yeah. colleagues in the, in the media over this last little while, and they say, where they get the fifteen million from? Uh, they, you know, it just it seems like an unrealistic number. So, I, can I just say very quickly? Yeah, yeah I got about thirty. Um, seconds left, yeah. Okay. I'm very skeptical of that number. I've worked in the government of Canada. My late father was 40-odd years in the government of Canada. My partner was 35 years. The government of Canada is a wonderful place, and there's good people there. But anybody who tries to tell you that the government of Canada is the center of economic efficiency in Canada does not understand how government works. There's all kinds of red tape that's deliberate, you know, checks and balances and so forth. And governments are very good at delivering benefits, but they're not the, the, the source of economic efficiency. And so the argument that they're going to cut billions out of our health care costs boggles my imagination, knowing what I know. And I've worked in government of Canada also in a previous career. And I just do not believe they're going to hit those numbers. In fact, the PBO flatly contradicts them and says it's going to cost over $20 billion a year. Uh, and that's a disease that infects just about anybody in government, despite their political yeah. stripe. Uh, Ian, Precisely. thanks again. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate the time today. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Ian Lee from the uh, Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.